Episode 137 in the Actors Room. My name's Jeff Tarowski. Jacob's Ladder, 1990, starring Tim Robbins. It's a psychological thriller slash horror movie. One of the best. We'll talk about it, and here we go. Jacob's Ladder was written by Bruce Joel Rubin. And Mr. Rubin also had a very successful film that came out the same year, 1990. Ghost, starring Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. I love that movie too. Two very good films. Thought-provoking. And if you've noticed, my podcast really likes to highlight films that make you think. And Jacob's Ladder is definitely one of those films. And a little background on Mr. Rubin, a writer. He was once roommates, Timothy Leary. And if you know that name, good old Tim Leary introduced LSD to the masses back in the 60s and 70s. Big deal. Smart man. But also loved LSD. Timothy Leary loved to get ripped on acid. His roommate, at one point, was Mr. Rubin. Rubin, not a big drug user, indulged himself one evening with Tim. And let's just say it's been said that Mr. Rubin took a little more than he should have. But nonetheless, Rubin had himself quite the experience Being high on acid. He saw things that made him question where he was in the world. And what was going on outside his world. Ruben, soon enough, experienced life to the fullest with philosophy. He moved overseas. Became interested in other religions, ways of life. Experienced a lot. Spent time with uh, Buddhist monks. So on and so on. Losing himself in thought. When he came back to America ready to write his ass off. He found himself writing about these experiences he had back in the day. And in this film, Jacob's Ladder. He dives into what happens When you die. And a little more specifically. What happens to you. What happens to you. The moment. Your body decides to let go. And then. What exactly the mind and soul do. In that process. This is a fascinating look. Into. One of the greatest mysteries of all, isn't it? What happens when you die? Reuben, he gives us his spin on Jacob's journey to heaven or hell. Uh, the director of this film, Adrian Lynn, great job. 
And I believe that during my research of this film, it seemed to me that the writer, Ruben, and the director, Lynn, worked well together. Mind you, there were aspects of the film uh, in which the director, Lynn, did things differently than what the writer had, but that's okay. Lynn did it his way, and then Ruben had to deal with it. And in the final product, Ruben was pleased at the changes that Lynn made. We'll point some of those changes out later on in the show. But for now, let's talk about Tim Robbins, the main character in this film, Jacob. Tim Robbins as an actor, I'm on the fence. There are moments I think of Tim Robbins, and I've said before, I think he's a goofy kind of character because of the films that I've seen in the past. Like, for instance, he's goofy in Bull Durham. Sort of a meathead. And then I think about Howard the Duck and the character he played in Howard the Duck. Yes, that's right, folks. Tim Robbins was in Howard the Duck and he played a moron. Well, just a funny kind of guy. He may not have been a moron, but he came off goofy. So when I think of Tim Robbins, besides Shawshank, (laughs) I always thought of him as a goofy kind of guy. And when you have that thought in your head of an actor, it's hard to shake that. And as impressed as I was with Shawshank Redemption, I was just amazed at how brilliant he was in Jacob's Ladder. And I know that Mr. Robbins will go on to do Mystic River. And do a wonderful job. And he just keeps on proving me wrong. How wonderful of an actor he is. And folks, Tim Robbins, he's a very, very, very good actor. He keeps proving it to me. And when I saw this film, Jacob Slatter, back in 1998. I saw it in 98 when I was studying acting in acting school. My roommate at the time was a director. He was a director and he was going to NYU. Scott was his name. And he had stacks of movies on um, DVD. And I said, wow, Scott, you have quite a library here. What a collection. He's like, thank you. And he said, if you are, you are more than welcome to go ahead and watch any of my films. I mean, they're, they're yours to view. And boy, did I. Uh, Scott had a collection that was wonderful. A lot of things that I'd never seen. And Jacob's Ladder was one of them. So what's Jacob's Ladder? He goes, oh, you're going to love this. It's a thriller. It's a horror. It'll make you think. It's, it's really weird and creepy. The feel of it, dark. And I said, well, it's right up my alley. And I really enjoyed it. It scared me. And that's why we're doing it this week in the actor's room. Because it's that time of year. I've been watching horror movies for two weeks now. I start in September. It's that time to sit down and get yourself a little scared. We love it. And why not? Jacob's Ladder, 1990. Directed by Adrian Lin. Written by Bruce Joel Rubin. Starring Tim Robbins. And there's a lot. Great actors in this film before they made it big. We're going to point out a few of them. For example, 
We have a young Eric Lasalle that will go on to do great work on ER. Ving Rhames before he does Pulp Fiction. There is a small role, and if you notice, Louis Black, the comedian, plays Jacob's doctor. Elizabeth Pena, who plays the love interest, the girlfriend, she did a wonderful job in this film. She uh, is in La Bamba. And then you have Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. This is before Seinfeld was big and Jason Alexander was a household name. And very interesting, the amount of talent in this cast. Well done by the casting director, I guess. The casting director knew what they were doing. I have done research on this film, and what I found was quite interesting because there were things that I agreed with, and then there was other things that I didn't pertaining to what happens to Jacob within the latter. Now, I also am a little hesitant to agree fully uh, with others on Jacob's reality before he got on the ladder, which means his life. What was really going on with Jacob? And I, I, I find it fascinating that mm, I think a lot of people would disagree with me on what I think is going on. Um, what we do know, <laughs> what, what we do know is Jacob is a soldier and he's in Vietnam and he's in a world of shit. There's a battle. Okay. And he is mortally wounded that we do know everything that happens after that, when he's on the ladder is up for discussion. Sorry, folks, it is. And that's what makes this film so great. The visuals. Uh, The director, Lin, went and did it his way. And when I say that, writer Ruben had the images of the demons or angels more like creatures. Where Lynn said, no, I want him to look more human. And that's what makes it more creepy for me. When I see odd imagery, uh, things not of this world, the more human they are, yet not, that makes sense, creeps me out. Because I can identify with that more. If I see some kind of creature that I can't identify with that's in somebody's imagination, I can't, uh, I'm, you're losing me. It's like, okay, it's scary a little bit. Mm, yeah, okay, okay, whatever. But when you show, um, hmm, disfigured people, um, human-like distorted faces and things of that nature, you got me. I'm, okay, I'm scared a little bit. So that's what the director did with the uh, odd images, odd people, demons that Jacob will see throughout this whole film. 
And it starts from the very first scene after he is starting to die. He's on the subway in New York City in the 1970s. And that's creepy. Lynn did a phenomenal job in making New York City look scuzzy. <laughs> like it did back in the 70s. New York City was dirty, slimy, perverted, scary, I dark. It was all those things. And you felt that in the movie. Well done by Lynn. And Tim Robbins wakes up. Okay. On the subway. And the first person he sees is some lady. And this poor lady got the job as an actress because she looks downright scary. I mean, wow. Good for you. Or... She knew somebody and they made her look pretty scary. But that was one scary woman on the subway, right? Very scary. And then he asked her when the next stop is and where's Bergen Street. That's his stop. He fell asleep. She doesn't answer him. She just looks at him. That's scarier than anything. When you get nothing, no response from somebody you're talking to. That's weird. So he's like, laughs, laughs it off. Sits back down, looks over, sees a bum sleeping down in the subway. Not a big surprise in New York City. A lot of people sleep on the subway. Some of them bums. Anyway, as he leaves the subway and the car opens, he looks back and sees that this homeless person has a tail. Right off the bat, all right, we're in some other reality. Okay? We know that. And it's shown to us right away. Okay? There's no disputing it. There's strange things going on. So he leaves the subway. He, he's on the, uh, the terminal. And as you know, the subway is underground. And he tries to leave the station. So he goes to one exit and it's locked. And he goes to another and it's roped off. He's trapped. And this did actually happen to Ruben, the writer, in a dream. Or, more specifically, a nightmare. Ruben could not leave a subway station in his nightmare. Scared the shit out of him. And decided to write about it. This all stems from Ruben's frustration in his place in the world back in the day when he first started to write. He wasn't successful. He wasn't making much money as a writer. And he even told his wife this. What am I going to do with my life? I want to write, but I'm not successful. And she said, we'll use that motivation, the negative, to write something. And he liked that idea, went with it, and felt, maybe I can make some good out of the bad. And used the nightmare to create this film, Jacob's Ladder. Ruben was full of philosophy. Full of beliefs and full of mystery. And Jacob's Ladder would contain all of his thoughts on that. And what a story it would be to get his perspective on what happens to you on your journey to the next world. Whatever 
that world is. We're all going to go through something when we die. My theory, everybody is going to go through something different. It could be a brief thing. You see the light. You see your mom. You see your family. And you advance, move on, and go forward. Wherever that forward is. Where others, it may take a little longer. You're holding on. What are you holding on to? What's the blockage? That's what Ruben wanted to put into film. What was Mr. Jacob Singer, the main character of our story, hanging on to? Well, he was hanging on to family. He didn't want to let his family go. Now, here's an interesting question or point. Well, both. (laughs) Was Jacob's family in the film? The wife, the kids, specifically his son, played by Macaulay Culkin. That's right. Gold old Mac Culkin (laughs) from Home Alone and all that shit. Kevin plays the son of Jacob. (laughs) Now, not that it's funny. It's just when I was doing research, this one um, critic (laughs) wasn't a big fan of Culkin's performance in this film. Felt that he was the weakest link as, as far as performances go. As an actor, he said, all the other actors just nail their roles, except for Culkin. <laughs> and the other guy's like, he was a kid for Christ's sake. Give him a break. He's like, oh, no, I'm just saying, Culkin, I didn't believe him. And when he said it, I was like, hmm, I'm thinking back to Culkin's performance in this. I go, hmm, that's an interesting point. Did I believe Culkin all the way? And I'm thinking, how old was Culkin when this came out? Like eight? <laughs> I find it hard to do hard um, criticism. I find it hard to do hard criticism. What an idiot. I find it difficult to do tough criticism. I know I'm trying to make it sound better. I'm a nine-year-old actor or whatever. They're doing the best they can. Anyway, I'm already getting loopy here. It's been a long time since I've done a show. I got my water. My voice is going already. Here we go. Okay. Back to the family thing. Tim Robinson's character, Jacob, didn't want to let go of family. Now, here we go. His wife and his kids, right? Are they real? Well, of course they are, Jeff. And I say, wait a minute, because I say this because I'm questioning a lot of things about Jacob. And one of the very first things that really made me go, wait a minute, how old is Jacob in this movie? As far as um, what Reuben is portraying to us, how old is Jacob? Well, he's got to be at least what? I'd say 25, 26. You go, okay, it sounds about right. Why do I make that assumption? Well, he's married. He's got kids. 
and they call him Professor, which means he's been through college, a lot of college, okay, and he's got a good job. Um, not too many soldiers in Vietnam were number one that old. Um, they weren't. Uh, most of the soldiers in Vietnam were kids out of high school, drafted, um, volunteers, whatever. But most of them were teenagers, early 20s, definitely not married and definitely not having kids. So was Tim Robbins's character sort of like a lieutenant, uh, a lifer in the military? No, <laughs> that's another thing. You go, well, Jeff, there were, you know, 25, 30, 35 year olds in Vietnam as, you know, lieutenants and corporals and leaders of platoons. And I go, well, yeah, but they're lifers, which means that's their career. They started when they were young and worked their way all the way up to be a commander of a platoon. Right? Am I wrong on this? If there's a 25, 30-year-old in Vietnam, that's their career. They're army people, not professors with a wife and kids. Tim Robinson's character is supposed to be a teacher with a wife and kids, 25, 26, 27. That makes no sense, which leads me to this. Okay. Is that sort of made up in Jacob's ladder or dream or journey in that he's really, now hear me out on this. I know this is kind of crazy, but it kind of makes sense. Is he a 19, 20 year old kid from uh, butt fuck Indiana, right? With dreams and aspirations of one day having a family. One day having that son to be proud of, to raise, okay? To look up to you. Because a lot of kids coming out of high school, going to Vietnam, did have dreams. Had sweethearts that, you know, they left behind and couldn't wait to get back to. You've seen the movies about Vietnam. I have. They have the soldiers and they miss home. They're right into their sweethearts. I can't wait to see you, honey. It keeps them going. It keeps them wanting to live. Was that Jacob? And when he was injured, all of a sudden, you're in a different reality. Think about it. Every time we lay our heads on a pillow at night to go to sleep, we dream, most of us anyway. Some of us may not remember our dreams, but folks, you dream. And in these dreams, you are on another plane. You are on another reality. I had a dream the other night. I, w- I was living in a house that I didn't live in. I had people around me that were my family that weren't my family. But in my dream, I believed everything about it. I believed with all of my uh, being or of my surroundings that that was my house, that was my family, and everything going on around me made sense. Because that's just the way the brain operates in those situations. The creator and writer of this film, Ruben, 
had that same idea. And when he was tripping balls back in the day with Timothy Leary and then going overseas and doing all of his philosophy work with Buddhist monks and all sorts of other religions, also probably being high as a kite, he experienced things in the brain that we're not supposed to. Okay. Okay. These doors in our brain really aren't supposed to open until we have traumatic experiences where our brain now makes us comfortable in our next journey into somewhere that our body and mind and being can't comprehend. So my theory, could it hold water? Absolutely. Because in the latter, in the latter, Anything's possible. Okay? It's your experience. Your mind, your body, and your soul battling with what is about to happen. And that's death. The big unknown, right? Nobody knows for sure what happens. Nobody. And Ruben felt with his experiences with LSD... And whatever else he was doing was similar to what the mind will give you when you're about to die. Okay? The doors that LSD opens, okay, actually open when you're dying. And I find that very interesting. And I find it to be true. I think that all those near-death experiences that people talk about, all the different cultures that experience the same thing for the most part, um, happen for a reason. And that is the brain preparing you for what's happening, showing you lights, showing you comfort, uh, pain, all the things you're holding on to. Uh, I've done lots of research on that too. I was obsessed with near-death experiences, obsessed you know, the stories, they vary. Although a lot of them are the same. You also have these stories of, of people that were, you know, non-religious, just bad people that when they were passing on, okay, they were experiencing demons ripping them apart, saying you're going to hell, okay? Obviously, these people have baggage. They have issues. They're holding on to anger, Things they might feel bad about. And that's what this film touches on. Jacob Slatter, 1990, a fascinating film. Very thought-provoking. Could very well be one of the most thought-provoking films I've ever talked about on this show. I hope it makes you think. I know it made me think. And that's what makes for great art. You know it. I know it. You know it. We don't really want to sit and watch fluff all the time. I get it. You need fluff every now and then to stay sane. It's there. Watch it. Watch it 90% of the time. But you also need that edgy, eerie, just in-your-face reality gut check. To make think about certain things from time to time. And Jacob Slatter does that for us. No doubt about it. And let's go ahead. And continue on with the plot line. Because I want to point out a few other things in the plot that are both intriguing and prove my point. 
about my theory. There is a very important character in this film. The chiropractor. Very important. Played by Danny Aiello. And he is just... mm, I love Danny. Phenomenal actor. And he fixes Jacob. Not only his back. (laughs) But he fixes his mind. When he goes... When Jacob goes to see the chiropractor. Okay. Um... He's an angel. He even calls him that. It's like you, he calls him a big cherub, which is an angel. And at one point, he cracks something in his neck. And it's, ah, it's like a, a, a jolt, you know? And, and Jacob is, is taken back to um, his past. Or is it? And I, I stumbled there because I don't think it's his past. I think it's whatever is holding him back. That's it. Whether it's memories or your hopes and dreams. If a young man at the age of 19 is taken away in a war. God, you know they've got to be dying pissed. Right? Their whole lives are ahead of them. Okay. I'm 47. God, 19, 20, that was a lifetime ago. And boy, my life was just starting. And it just angers me to think about that. That these young kids were going out fighting and dying in the jungle for us. And their lives being ripped away. So young and healthy, right? And... Jacob was one of those kids in my theory with hopes and dreams. And uh, Danny's character as a chiropractor sent him places or adjusted him, not only his back, but adjusted his vision and adjusted where he was to go next. Uh, Danny would bring up the wife and that would affect Jacob. Good or bad, it was steering him in a direction. And Jacob would tell Danny that he struggles and he's seeing things. And are there demons and all of this that was troubling Jacob. And and Danny's character tells him, you know, the angel. (laughs) Uh, a, A very interesting quote in the film that demons... Can sometimes be angels. They're guiding you in the right direction. Just like he was. And it's all about. How you look at things. Because. The demons. The so called demons. For Jacob. Were really trying to help him. And all the things that did happen. On the ladder. Were. Help. Helping. To guide his way. I know it's hard to put into the correct terminology. The right words. It's hard. Because there are a lot of aspects of the film. And most of them dark. But that was Jacob's ladder. It had to be dark. He had to deal with the fact that 
if he did have a wife? What if he was cheating on her? Okay, maybe Jacob had a job before he went to Vietnam where he had a girlfriend, okay? And then he had a coworker at his job that was sexy. And he felt bad about that. I think there's a lot of possibilities with this plot line. And I think there are a lot of people that are going to come back at me right now and say, Jeff, your theory, it's, I don't buy it. And I'm, why? Why wouldn't you buy it? And I think it's because the family that Jacob may have had seemed too real to him. Okay. Um, the, the Macaulay Culkin, the son, too real. Okay. Uh, the images, the memories. It, to me, right, or to others arguing with me on this point would say that it's just too much. Like the plot line revolves around this too much. And the chances of him actually having a family, um, being a professor and so on, um, the percentages are higher for that to be true than not. You know what? That's fine. And if that's what you think happened, great. I'm just putting out my opinion in that the way I saw it, I put myself into Jacob in that situation. Um, what if I was 19, 20 years old, okay, and was thrown into a war at that time? And at that age, I had aspirations of being an actor. And I went out and tried it. But I also knew before I wanted to be an actor, I always knew, even when I was a kid, that I wanted to have a family, even before I was ever interested in acting. Talking about, I was really young. And it was quite interesting, being as young as I was, I knew I wanted to have a wife and kids, and I knew I would have daughters. I even told my mom that. I said, Mom, I know I'm going to have kids, and they're going to be all girls. And she said, how do you know that? I said, I just know that. And that was always deep down inside me, a family. And when I went out to New York City to study and to be an actor, and I was out there for about three, four years, wasn't happening. I was getting discouraged. The one thing I did have, the hope and dream that I never let go of, was family. And I had to make a decision at a point. I had to choose. Should I continue to go on my quest, see how far I can go with acting, or do I start my life, my other dream, to have a family? And that's what I did. I chose family and I don't regret it. I love my family. It's the most important thing in my life. So if I was a 19 year old in say Vietnam and I was about to die, boy, I I can identify with my theory. I would feel that the universe was taking away my dream to have a family. So there you go. There's my reasoning. That that is what makes sense to me in my theory. And it might be a very unpopular theory. I'm sure it is. But it's my theory. 
So I do respect other people's theories. That's what makes it so interesting. Because, I don't know, that theory or the way the movie portrays it, it almost seems too obvious. But something doesn't seem quite right. I want to lightly touch upon Elizabeth Pena, the love interest of Jacob when he's in the ladder, the sexy Mexican. Man. (laughs) She's sexy, but evil. (laughs) In the movie, she is actually at one point in the party. Now we're going to go and talk about the really eerie parts in the movie. In the first one is when they're at the party and Jacob's freaking out because his girlfriend is being felt up by some demonic creature. And then because he's getting all crazy, he gets a high fever. They go home and he's burning up and she has to put him in the tub and fill the tub with cold water. And then she has the neighbors come over and pour all the ice they can on top of him. Just think about how vulnerable Jacob is at that moment in time. His neighbors seeing him naked, vulnerable, sick, feverish, on the verge of death. And how when you have a fever and you're cold, the the worst thing is to be even more cold. And it's just Tim Robbins screaming and going through what he's going through. I believe it. It's horrible. But it's great. It's good for the film. You feel it. It's raw. It's, it hurts you. Like your skin is cold when you watch that scene. And that's another thing too. The burning. There's a lot of burning and fire. Yes, it pertains to hell. But it also pertains to the fact that Jacob has to burn and set fire to all the things that are holding him back. All of the things that won't let him progress and move forward. Okay, more eerie images. When Jacob is in the alley and the car tries to kill him. Great little scene. A little silly at first, but it all pays off in the end. When he dives out of the way and the car speeds you know, in front of him. And he looks and he sees in the back window the fleshy demon people. Perfect. It's great. Love it. Oh, and before we move on, okay, in the very beginning, when he's on the subway and he can't get out, forgot to mention this. This is important. He can't get out of the subway. So he goes on the tracks. Why not? I'm thinking this is Ruben's nightmare. And Ruben did this in his nightmare. He went down on the tracks and Jacob almost gets hit by the train. And he looks up and sees that there's people, like weird looking people in the train. God! (laughs) The imagery is freaking amazing in this picture. And then the creepiest part in the whole picture, by far, by far. Okay. Okay. I think if you've seen this film, you know what I'm talking about. The, the, The eeriest scene in the movie is when they, he hurts his back, right? And he's in the hospital and they're working on him and he's all tied up and they're like, they're telling him, 
You know, you're dead, man. You're dead. So I'm not dead. I'm alive. You're like, you are? Really, buddy? I mean, they're like fucking with him. And then they're wheeling him through the corridor on the way to the, uh, the surgical room. And, and they're wheeling him and he's going over bones and organs and creepy people. And the, ah, watch the film. Observe that part. I don't want to go through the, every detail. The details speak for themselves. But the images that director Adrian Lin puts in this film during that scene. That's all I got to say. I'm thinking Tim Robbins went through some shit. <laughs> Making this. He breaks down several times. Several times. Anyway. We're going to wrap this up now. Because we're nearing the end of the film. I have nothing else to say. (laughs) I'm done making my points and my theories. You're probably like, Jeff, shut, shut up. Just stop with your theories. You almost had me convinced that Jacob was like an eight-year-old kid that was thrown into Vietnam. (laughs) And he always wanted to have that toy. (laughs) That toy. I wanted that fire engine. I wanted it so bad. (laughs) And like this eight-year-old trying to move on as he dies. And all he sees is this fire engine. Anyway. Thank you for listening to the Actors Room. And as we wrap up, Jacob finally lets go. Thank God, right? But he had to go through this journey. That's the point. The fevered dream. And this point as well. Because they make a big deal. (laughs) They, meaning the writer and the director, placing... The final image, text, saying that there were um, experimental drugs being used on soldiers. And they mean Agent Orange, correct? But there were also other suspicious drugs that the military was using on soldiers. And that might be the case. I don't dispute that. I'm sure there was some fucked up shit going on in Vietnam. The government and the soldiers... I'm sure of it. And one of those things might have been something used on Jacob's platoon. They make that point in the film. That's the last thing they put in the film to really make you think. Did Jacob's platoon, were they drugged? Maybe. I'm going to say, I can't go either way on this. I think they put that in there to make you think. And you do. Were they drugged? And most people are going to be like, well, of course they were. Did you see what happened? They were killing each other. It's supposedly said that the government gave them this drug to get them all pumped up to kill the enemy. Didn't happen. The drug backfires. And instead, the platoon killed each other. And I think this was put in. To once again establish to the audience how drugs were a main element on Ruben's idea of this film. 
if it wasn't for Ruben's acid trip with Tim Leary back in the day, Jacob's Ladder wouldn't have been written. It was Ruben's drug-induced state of mind that made him think up this idea. And his research into near-death experiences. And then combining them and having this tale come to fruition. The element of the doors opening in your brain when you die is very similar to an acid trip. People that go on these acid trips experience all sorts of things. Enlightenment is one of them. That's all. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Actors Room. My name's Jeff. Hope you enjoyed the show. It's been a while. I've been sick. I got COVID again, and it kicked my fucking ass. Now, it wasn't as bad as the first time I got it over a year ago. The breathing wasn't as bad. The symptoms definitely were not as bad. But when I got COVID the first time, it lingered and it lingered for months. And that's what it's doing this time. COVID gets in my body and doesn't want to leave. I have good days. I got bad days. I got great days and I have really shitty days. So it's been really hard for me to consistently want to put out shows if I'm not feeling good. And folks, I have not been feeling well. It's been a rough year. I felt good today and I said, do it in a show. So that's what I'm doing. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope everybody out there is doing okay. I hope you're healthy, feeling good. It can be rough, man. You get sick and there's, we just got to wait it out, man. You know, try to get extra rest, you know, do all you can to get yourself better. So hopefully all you out there are doing great. Um, I do want to, before I go, uh, shout out a very important um, occurrence that happened Okay, to me. One of my favorite teachers of all time passed away not that long ago. Gary Ramsey was a voice and speech teacher at the Neighborhood Playhouse when I went back in 1998-99. One of the best teachers I've ever had in my life. He was so positive. He was just one of those teachers you... You went to class every day and he made your day and you stepped into his class and you knew you were getting 100% dedication. He cared. He cared about every single student he ever had. No doubt about it. And I always remember him because he cared and There aren't many teachers I've had in my life and I've had a lot of teachers. So have you, how many teachers really touch you in a way you, they, they, they made you feel important. You wanted to go to their class. You got something out of that class. They made an impression on you, a positive one, not a negative. (laughs) I think a lot of teachers leave negative influence on you or memories and 
Mr. Ramsey, you'll be missed. There are so many of your former students that will miss you and remember you forever. You touched lives. And I'll never, ever forget Mr. Gary Ramsey. One hell of a guy. And I had to point that out. Because I don't think teachers realize just how important they are. Okay? They are. Uh, Students want someone to look up to. They want to be inspired. They want all those things. And every time you step in front of students, okay, you're making an impact. And then again, you're not. It's all up to you. And being a teacher, gosh, what an honor that must be to influence others on a daily basis. Nothing more important than that, my opinion. That's just my opinion. I know, got a lot of opinions today. What the hell's wrong with me? (laughs) Well, that's my show. So, sit back, relax, grab that beverage, right? What is it tonight? A beer, right? Some wine, or maybe a cocktail, right? Do you like martinis? Some of those mixed drinks can get quite tasty, am I right? Some bourbon, whiskey, tequila. Are you? Are there tequila people out there? I'm not one of those people. Not my bag. <laughs> I will indulge in a gin martini from time to time. And I will also indulge in whiskey. I know. It'll be the end of me, folks. I don't, it's so good. I love me some whiskey. Oh, you have no idea. I love it. So, watch that movie, enjoy your beverage, and have a great night. Hey, have an experience. That's what life is all about, and that's what this podcast, that's what I want it to be about. Experiencing film. Having an actor give a performance you remember and go, God damn it, that was really good. Or that one movie. You put in. You've never seen, right? Like Gone with the Wind. I've never seen it. It looks like it's really boring. Really long and really boring. But I thought the same way about Dances with Wolves. And I loved it. So one day, I'm going to have to sit down and watch Gone with the Wind. And most of the audience, I'm sure, is be like, Okay, Jeff, I can't uh, believe anything you say anymore. And you haven't seen Gone with the Wind? What is wrong with you? Just never seen it. So put in that movie tonight you've never seen, right? That you've never, ever seen. You've never seen The Godfather? What's wrong with you? Watch it tonight. You've never seen Jacob's Ladder? What the F is wrong with you? Watch it tonight. Watch Tim Robbins act his ass off. Watch how sexy Elizabeth Pena is. Watch Jason Alexander in this movie before Seinfeld. Eric LaSalle, Ving Rhames. Even Louis Black, that's right. The comedian Louis Black makes a performance for the ages. I'm kidding. It was a cameo and it wasn't that good. Thank you for listening to the Actors Room. God bless you. Have a good one.
what I see Like the 